technically the new year in Israel began in September, but for America, our new year begins in January. And there are seasons in our life where we will, going into the first of the year, that we will make some kind of, what, resolutions. And uh, usually by usually by the first week or two, we're, we're, we missed it, and uh, we give up. Pastor Rhonda mentioned the lottery. Documentation, 55% of all that win the lottery within five years, they are broke. 55%. So if your New Year's resolution is to win the lottery, first of all, you need to buy a ticket. And then second of all, you need to get a, an investor, a money investor in your life early. And third of all, whatever you do, two people did not tell you won the lottery. Number one, the church. And number two, relatives. You don't want your relatives to know because they will try their best to make you feel bad and uh manipulate you into giving away that which is rightfully yours. As we looked last week, and again, as we step into, and we're honoring, we're honoring the new year by bringing in some principles, some truths, I believe that every time we come to the house of God, we should leave with something. I believe whether it's encouragement or whether it's a thought or whether it's a song or whether it's a prayer, that every, every encounter with God where two or three gather together, there ought to be something that transforms, something that takes place. And last week, we shared with you eight things that we would like to see happen in 2016. And I'm just going to briefly mention those and then touch on just one of those today. But last week, we brought to your attention, number one is to keep your vision in front of you. Keep your vision in front of you. By way of explanation, the word says that without a vision, the people perish. If you have no goals, if you have no long-term goals, short-term goals, if you're not careful, life will get boring and life will get monotonous. And uh, God created us to stretch. We're, we're stretchers. He said, enlarge your coast. He said, he said, speak the vision, uh, dream, 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 have dreams and, and begin to pursue and follow. And maybe you don't have a clear uh, distinction on what your purpose or destiny the rest of your life is, there are short-term visions that we can acquire. Probably if you're having a challenge with the tobacco, that your vision this year could be to see yourself tobacco-free. How cool would that be? If there's some things financially that's been troubling you and bothering you, maybe one of your visions this year is simply get on a budget and tell your money where to go instead of asking your money where it went. If uh, if this year you really feel like you'd like to uh, get married and uh, meet a husband or meet a wife, then you might want to read a book that ta talks about how to be a good wife, how to be a good husband. If you intend to fly a plane, it probably wouldn't hurt to take lessons. Just a thought. Uh, this year, Christine will be driving. She is already driving, but she is excited. She wants to start driving immediately. And if, if she's going to drive, then she's going to practice. And if she whacks her car in a parking lot, we have insurance. We'll take care of it, make sure. But I don't think she's going to whack it, Carl. I think she's going to do. I think she's going to do well. But that's one of her goals. So, so your goal could be your vision, and it's important that you at least identify one or two or three things you would really like to see happen this year. This morning, as I dressed, Pastor Ron was so kind to me as I asked her about. I had a sweater on before. I had my my jacket on. I put the sweater, put the jacket, and I said, "What do you think?" She said, "Well, it brings attention to your waist." Well, obviously. That's not something we want attention brought to. So the sweater 
is history. So you, you, you have people in your life that can encourage you, can bless you, that can lift you up. And we're going to talk about some of that a little later in the thought. And I will not be lengthy this morning. I'm not lengthy. I feel like in some of my goals for the new year is to, to be, be a little, little. I would rather have you leave this building saying, I wish he'd have taught more instead of saying, man, he taught too much. Hello? That's my goal is for you to leave the building saying, man, I wish, I wish he would have gone a little farther. I wish he'd have said this. I wish he would have said that. So get, get a goal. Get something. Write it down. We talked about putting it on the refrigerator, putting it on the, the dash of your car, putting it on your, on your mirror. Uh, I've, I've realized that there's some challenges with in memorization of the books of the Bible. I got a little snag going from the, from the four Gospels into the rest of the books. So I'm going to write down every, every book in the New Testament. And I'm going to place it where I'll see it all the time, shaving or, 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 or something like that. And I want to refresh that. Some of the things I want to reignite, some of the things I want to restart, some things that I've been involved in, some things that I enjoy doing that I would like to fire some of those things back up. The second thing that we brought to your attention last week was to run your race. Run your race. David said, I cannot kill Goliath with your armor. It's not tested. I need my armor. If you'll talk with the NASCAR Race drivers, they have a, they have a plan. They have a, they're, they're, they have a, they have a, oh, help, help me the word I'm looking for. They have a, they have a, a method of how they're going to win that race. It might be to hang back the first 300 laps and go forward or try to stay in the pole the first, all the way through. If you'll talk to a runner that runs distance, they have a, they have a plan how they're going to run. I ran varsity track two years. I ran a mile and I ran the two mile. I did not like the two mile, and I'm pleased to say, and that was a long time ago, every two mile I ever ran, I won. But I didn't like the two mile because it was just, it was just like, it was like 12 minutes of hell. But in the, when, the, when the gun went off, I tried to let somebody set the pace, and I got right behind him. And I let him set the pace, whether fast or slow, and it was my goal the last lap of that race was to pass him and to win. I didn't win every mile, but I placed every single mile that I ever won in and again, that was the same format. Get behind the guy that's setting the pace and try your best to stay with him. And you know, when you have goals like that, you, you don't compromise, but you, you rationalize with yourself. And when I ran the mile, my attitude was, this is only five minutes of hell. It's only going to last five minutes. And at the end, Ramona Hendricks, the head cheerleader, is going to be there at the end of the race saying, good job, Henry. I know that sounds silly. I know that's uh, but that motivation to have the head cheerleader, and I'll 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 leave it I'll leave it I'll leave it right there. But that was just th things in your life that motivate you. You put those things where you can see them, and you know what? If you're if you feel like you just really want to lose ten or fifteen pounds, go buy something really cool that doesn't fit. I think there's a song about the itsy bitsy teensy weeny yellow polka dot bikini where. The commercial, the girl put it out in the winter, and she couldn't fit into it, and she exercised. I remember that commercial. And then eventually she got the she got the bikini. I'm not encouraging you to go buy a bikini, but I'm encouraging you to go buy something that you really like that's just a little too tight. Just You're going to have to slim down a little bit. And don't try to be like Jared, who lost over 200 pounds eating Subway. Set, set, most of us don't need to lose 200 pounds, first of all. So set, so set some goals that you can grasp. Set some things that you're able to do. Run your race. Stop letting people tell you what to do, how to do it, where to do it. Hear from God. Hear from the word. Put people in your life that celebrate you, that don't tolerate you, but people that encourage you, that are there cheering you on. That's the spirit 
of encouragement. That's one of the gifts in the New Testament. The gift of encouragement is encouraging others to bless others. And I, I have learned that when someone realizes they really are appreciated, and there's a difference, when someone realizes they really are appreciated, they'll do even more. And when people begin to appreciate you, it pushes you to do even more than you normally would have done. You'll go the extra step or the extra mile or, or whatever. Bring people in your life. Don't confess your sins one to another. Confess your faults to one another. If you're struggling uh, with tobacco, there are several ways to quit smoking. You can come and we can do the hypnosis thing. That seems to be working lately. Or we can hit you with the hip shovel every time you smoke. That would probably solve most. Hello. That probably solved. But remember, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is the only body you're ever going to have. And you don't grasp that until you turn 60. When you turn 60, you realize this is, this is, the t this is it. It's not probably going to get any better. Hope won't get any worse. But hopefully I've taken good care of my teeth. Hopefully I've taken good care of my body. Hopefully I'm not eating a lot of dumb things that have created weird diseases in my body. It's the only body you'll ever have. And so you bless it. The third thing that I shared with you last week is to expect good things. And I'm going to leave that right there because I want to visit that this morning. Uh, the fourth thing is to have a positive mindset. When we talk about running the race, we talk about expectation, uh, you will learn as you, as you study, if you studied the brain, you will learn that in your brain it, tw it takes twice as much space to deal with the negative than it does with the positive. That is, a, that is a medical term, that's a medical process, and that's why we have the tendency to remember the negative more than we remember the positive. And so we're going to remember the $50 bill we lost more than we're going to remember the $50 bill that we won. And I have made it a matter of, and, and I bounce this off Pastor Rhonda, there are times when I will come into contact with people that obviously don't like me, and I obviously don't care. But when I'm around them, what I, I'm serious. I don't have to like everybody. I, I really don't. Jesus didn't like everybody. He had some people that tried to stop him and hurt him, and he told them what he thought about them several times. But I have, I have learned when I run to people that were a part of my life in a season that it was good, I focus on that. I focus on good times. Led Zeppelin taught me good times, bad times. You know I've had my share, so they're both there. But I try my best to focus more on the good times, more on the positive. When it says life and death is in the power of the tongue, it doesn't say life and death. It says death and life because we have a tendency to be negative before we are have a tendency to be positive. Uh, Skyler cried the moment. I, have it, I, I still have it on my phone. I can show you the moment when, they, when she came out of the womb and she was laying there in the bed. And she was crying. We cry before we laugh. We frown before we smile. We say papa before we say mama. Yes, because I brainwashed the child to say papa. But no, so life, life, life teaches us we all have a tendency to be negative. You notice when you go into these big uh, department stores, nowhere do you see a compliment desk. It's always a complaint desk. I'm telling you, we are. that's the way that we are mentored. That's from the cradle to the grave. It's all negative connotation. That's why your brain takes a larger process to remember negative, and that's why we focus on the negative. But try to have a positive mindset. Not that you would be, what's that word I'm looking for when you're, you're too clean, you're too neat, you're too right, you're too, what is it called? Yeah, all that. 
commit to excellence, but not to the degree that you don't want to try anything because you can't because you think you can't get it right. I've learned in uh, a, lot of, a lot of new faces ser- several years ago. Uh, I could whack a golf ball. I'm telling you, I could whack it. But the challenge was, you never knew where it was going to go. You really never knew. I would be on fairway one, and I'd wind up chipping from fairway three. It was a. Uh, I loved to whack it, but it. I'm, when I hit it, it was like. Only Jesus knew where the ball was going to go. I'm serious. And, and so our church, uh, we had a guy that was a professional. He was a pro. He made several thousand dollars on, the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the, the trial. He had his own golf course in Knoxville. He came. He heard me talk about golfing. He said, let's go and let's look at your golf. So I got a bucket of balls. He told me to whack them. I whacked them all. And then he looked at me and he made this statement. He said, you have perfected your mistakes. You do it wrong every time. So practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. And then when he showed me how to bring my hand over, and he showed me how to face the ball, and he showed me all the, it actually got a lot better until I fell out of a tree and broke both my wrists. And then unfortunately, I can't hit a golf ball. Well, I, I say that, maybe that's one of the things God will heal. Uh, this year he'll 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 heal my wrist. But but know that practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. The sixth thing that, that we're going to focus on this year before uh, we get too far is to learn how to keep growing. Keep growing. Yesterday, just for the fun of it, I went through my some, some of my books, and, and the books are pretty much there for anybody to read as long as you bring them back. But there, there were some books there, and there was a book there. I don't know if you saw saw me read it, the call of a pastor or the call of a how to be a better pastor. And, and you know what? There, there, are, there are times in your life when there are some things you might want to tweak a little bit. You might want to perfect a little bit. And so keep growing. Don't, don't become stale. Don't become lackadaisical. Don't become comfortable. In the book called An Enemy Called Average, one of the chapters says your favorite color should not be beige. Now, I'm not throwing off on those that are wearing beige this morning because I wear beige all the time. But beige is normal. Beige is safe. That's a safe color. And your, and your favorite color, you need not just to paint out of the box, but use some wild and crazy different colors. Keep growing. The seventh truth that we will learn this year is to learn how to serve others. Be a blessing to somebody else. What can you do to take pressure off of somebody else? I had the privilege this week at Lowe's to help somebody load uh, 50 pounds of dirt. I almost couldn't do it, but I knew she wasn't going to be able to do it, so I grunted, and I got it. And she said, "She said, thank you. You're so sweet, and you're so handsome. No, she didn't say the handsome part, but she did say, you're so, you're so sweet. And I said, well, this is my good deed for the day. The rest of the day, my back hurt. But, you know, at least I serve somebody else. I bless somebody else. I help somebody else. And then... The last thing that we're going to focus on, and we're learning that, I believe, and celebrate recovery, is to learn how to stay passionate. Stay passionate in your marriage. Stay passionate in your work. Stay passionate in your ministry. Stay passionate in your talents and your goals. Be passionate about what you do. Love what you do. Do it better than anybody else if that's, if that's the way that God has intended for you to roll. This morning, as we talk about expectation, I just jotted down some some things this, this, this morning that I expect. And let's go ahead and look at uh, Acts 3. Is it verse, what, what is that, verse 1? 
I'll tell you verse 8. Let's look at Acts 3. We got that? Here we go. Okay, let's go earlier than that. Let's go to Acts 3. Verse 8. There we go. If I can bring attention to the screen and may we look at it, you don't have to read it out loud. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. This guy had it right. He got their money before they went to church, not after. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them. What does that word say? Expecting to receive something of them. Expectation. I remember, I don't know if it was uh, a requirement when you were in sixth grade or seventh grade, but I read the book Great Expectations. I don't know if that was a part of your reading, but the whole book was about expectation. This morning, just for the fun of it, I I jotted down in, in the order of expectation some of the things that I expected. Number one, this morning when I got up, I expected the light switch to work. I flipped it up expecting it to come on. I expected the TV, the stereo to turn on. I expected the coffee pot to work. I expect the refrigerator to keep the cream cool for my coffee. I brought Christine to practice this morning early. I expected the car to start. I expected the heater to work. I expected the team to to be here when I got here, and some of them were. I went home, and I turned the shower, expecting the shower head to work. If I dried my hair, which I didn't, I would expect the hairdryer to work. And then I went back out to come to church. I expected the car to start again. There are expectations that I believe that God places in our life that we are to depend upon and we are to be blessed by. Expect the seed to grow. You've all heard my story, but some of you haven't heard it. When I was 19, I was a sophomore in college majoring in law. Begin to hang with cops, got real disillusioned. It was just something that I that I was not expecting, and I began to party with the cops and get high with the cops. But unfortunately, it opened the door for me to pursue for for a lengthy amount of time marijuana. I was a pothead. That does not mean I put a pot on my head, but I was a pothead. And because uh, most of the people I partied with were wealthy, uh, we we bought real expensive pot. And so when we would buy expensive pot, I would save all the seeds thinking that one day I'd have my own farm and I could plant my own seeds and harvest my own crop. I had Maui, Waui seeds. I had Colombian seeds. I had Cincinnatian seeds, Acapulco. I know that means nothing to anybody in here. I had some Mexican homegrown seeds. As a matter of fact, I had about three fingers. And if you know anything about pot, you know what that means. I had about three fingers of seeds. Well, I went to live with my grandparents because obviously my parents were not going to let me party and live at the house. So I made a decision. I left, and my great-grandfather had an uh, Airstream trailer that he gave to my grandparents, and I lived in it. And that was my, that was my, that's where I stayed. I ate inside, but I stayed there. I had a very good job. I worked at a motorhome um, manufacturer that they took a flatbed um, a, a van and put a motorhome on it. 
and I had the privilege of learning every single aspect of the motor home, from the wood to the plumbing to the electric to the siding to the windows to the carpet to the tile to the wine rack because I was a floater. Whoever didn't show up that day, that was the place that I served. And I enjoyed it. I was paid very well for it. It was a, it was a, it was a great job. And in that process, I was saving my seeds, living there with my grandparents. And one day I realized, you know what? I'm probably never going to have a farm. I'm spending all my money on pot. I'm probably never going to have a garden. So I took the seed, opened up the bag, and opened the back door of that trailer and just tossed those seeds out on the lawn, not knowing. The next day, my grandpa took this rototiller and dug up all the backyard. And he put squash seeds in. He put pumpkin seeds. There was some cucumbers. There was lettuce. There were radishes. And, you know, you don't see many radishes anymore in Tennessee, but there were, there were radishes. And as the little seeds began to pop out of the ground sporadically all over the garden, there was these other things that began to pop up all over the ground. Now, to this day, I believe, at that time I did not, but to this day, I believe that my grandfather, who was a custodian of a very large public school, very good job, retired very well, I believe he knew what they were. I just have a feeling. And so he would pull all the weeds. There's an oxymoron. He'd pull all the weeds around the weeds, and he would cultivate, and he would, he would fertilize. And most of my cousins smoked pot, and we were always over at Grandpa's house, and we saw these centimeum plants that begin to grow. And probably about a week before they were ready to pluck and hold up upside down for the THC to go to the – anyway, about a week before it was time to pull those plants, and all the cousins were in line. We are going to come over and raid Grandpa's garden. He stops a, a Orange County police officer and asked him to come and look and see what's growing. Well, the police officer pulled all the plants. It's my opinion. He put them in the trunk of his car. He took them home. He hung them upside down, and he enjoyed my harvest. I did all the work, and he enjoyed my harvest. Can anybody relate? What you sow is what you're going to reap. That was, a, that was, that was the, the proof in the pudding there. So there's an expectation for when you sow, knowing that God is going to bless and God's going to bring it to pass. This guy really needed a touch from God. He needed a healing. He got more than he asked for. Aren't you glad sometimes the Lord gives you more than what you asked for? If you'll go with me to 1 Kings, the 16th chapter, and the 8th, 8th verse, I believe the guys are going to be able to pull that up, and we can read that together. But just it's a few verses I, I want to bring to your attention. This is... This is um, Probably one of my favorite passages of Scripture in, in the Bible, 1 Kings. Let me make sure I'm in the right place. 1 Kings, the 16th chapter. Maybe it was 2 Kings, the 16th chapter. Or the 8th chapter? Is that what you got up there? So that's what you want me to preach on this morning, 8 and 16? Okay, let's see if we can make this work. Okay. Know this, that somewhere in the Bible, there's this story. How's that? How'd I do? Elijah is a confronter. He just had a wrestling match with 350 prophets of Baal and won. All the prophets of Baal were destroyed. Jezebel said she was going to kill him. He runs. God leads him to a brook. What is it? Oh, 1 Kings 17. 
Thank you, Pastor Rhonda. Okay, I guess now I'll have to preach the whole truth and not be able to embellish a little bit. Okay, 17 what, Pastor Rhonda? No, let's go to um, let's go to verse eight. Verse verse eight. He goes to the brook because God told him there'll be a place there for him. He expected to be there. And ravens fed him in the morning bread and meat, and in the evening bread and meat. He ate twice a day, drank from the brook. The brook dries up because he had prophesied there was going to be a drought, and the drought affected him. Sometimes the things you speak and sometimes the things you declare will come to pass, but it will also affect you, if that means. So be careful what you speak, be careful what you declare, because it could affect, it affected him. And it was God's plan. The brook dried up, and so God said, I have prepared a widow. I have prepared a widow, and she is going to sustain you. She is going to bless you. And Elijah goes to this widow's house. And when he gets to the widow's house, here's what he does. He asks the widow for something to drink. And as she is getting ready to serve him some water, he said, by the way, make me a cake that I can eat my cake with my drink. And she tells him, listen, I only have enough meal and enough oil to make two cakes. I'm going to make these two cakes, and my son and I are going to eat them, and then we're going to die. What a tragic day. What a tragic moment. What a tragic it's been three years, no rain. It's been a drought. There are no crops. People are starving to death. God sends Elijah to this widow because he had prepared her heart. And I wish we had time to talk about preparation. I don't know how he prepared her heart. I don't know if she was a praying woman. I don't know if she was a worshiper. I don't know. I know she was a great mom. I'm going to tell you in just a minute who her son was later in the Bible. But this woman had come to a place in her life where she could hear from God the nudges of God and as the God began to nudge her, she began to submit. When she said, listen, I've got just enough to make two cakes. My son and I are going to eat them, and then we're going to die. It's almost like the man of God, Richard, had absolutely no compassion, no heart, no, no feeling whatsoever to this mom and her son that was about to die. He said, nevertheless, make me a cake first, and the oil will stay, and the, and the flour will stay so she went and she made him a cake. Now, I don't know with what attitude she made it. She may have spit in it for all I know. She could have been in the kitchen saying, you know, those preachers, all they want is your money. You know, those preachers, all they do is take advantage. That, uh, who knows what her attitude was. I don't think it was like that because I think God prepared her heart. But she went and made him a cake and, and gave him the drink and sat there and watched him eat that cake and drink that drink. And he said, go ahead, go ahead and make you and your son a cake because you're going to survive also. She goes back. Now, listen, she has just scraped the bottom of the barrel, and she just poured the last of the oil. That was facts. But she didn't focus on facts. She focused on the word of the Lord. The man of God said, there's going to be oil for you. There's going to be flour for you. So she went and made her and her son a cake, and Elijah said, that oil and that flour is going to remain till the drought is over. The drought was three years. Help me do the math. If three times a day we went and got a bagel, and we paid $3 for it plus tax, probably about $10 a day to eat. Multiply that times 360. That's how many days that are in a Jewish calendar. That's $3,600. Multiply that times three. 
times, 10 grand, 10 grand. She gave him one meal. She received 10 grand. You can't outgive God. You cannot. There's no possible way that you can outgive because when you see that return doesn't even make mathematical sense that he, she plants one meal and she plants three, uh, two, she plants, help me now, 360 times three, a thousand. So a th for the next thousand days, she reaps three meals on the one meal that she planted thinking that that was going to be it, that that was all that, that she was going to have. But something ignited inside of her. There was an expectation that she was going to live and she was going to survive. And she operated in that. Now, flip it a few weeks, months, whatever later, the little boy gets sick and he dies. And so she goes to the man of God and said, listen, did you come here that my son would die? So there was, there was I'm going to say sometimes when you ask a negative question, you're wanting a positive answer. Is that all you're going to get me for Christmas? Oh, there's another package. Think about it for a minute. Sometimes our negative questions, we want a positive response. I don't think she went to him and said, hey, we blessed you, so now my son's going to die. And Elijah said, well, yeah, ashes to ashes. Everybody dies. There, there you have it. You know, get over it, whatever. I don't think she expected that kind of response. I think that she expected God to do something because she had seen something in this man that there was credibility, there was integrity, and there was a lifestyle that she appreciated. So he takes the boy, gets him in his arms, carries him up to his room, and then he says to God, God, are you going to allow, watch this, this is powerful, God, are you going to allow this widow to suffer because she blessed me? Well, we know that Elijah was not expecting a negative answer. There was an expectation. And you know what? I believe in faith. I don't know that I believe in hyper faith. I don't believe in confessing things that aren't as they are or they aren't as they are. But I, but I think that sometimes we can get so carried away with the positive that we skirt around the negative when God wants to hear the negative so he can give you the positive. Does that help anybody in the building? It's okay to tell God, God, things are real tight now financially. I need a breakthrough. God, I'm telling you, my body's really struggling right now. I really need a miracle. It's okay to tell God you're worried about your grandkids. It's okay to tell God you're worried about your recovery. You're worried about your future. I'm getting married. I'm worried about it. That's okay to tell God because God takes your negative and turns it into a positive. That bless anybody in this house. Praise the Lord. What an incredible. When we come to the house of God, there's an expectation from God from us. And we've, we've, we've learned this over and over again is that when we come to the house of God, God wants us to have a song. It doesn't mean that we sing solos every service, but it means that corporately we gather together and we praise and worship him in song. And in that's an expectation. The second thing that God expects when you come to the house of God is a word. You say, well, I don't get up in the pulpit every Sunday and minister the word. No, but you shake hands with the body. You come here before the service starts. You're here after the service is over. You're able to speak a word of encouragement, a word of blessing, a word of testimony, a word of faith. You're able to do that. When Pastor Ronald says, hey, go and, go and say hello to somebody, that's your opportunity to say, let me tell you how good God's been to me this week. Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about that. And that's an opportunity for you to share your testimony because that overcomes the enemy. And those that got out of bed this morning and hassled the cold, didn't feel like coming, when they get around you, there's just something about you that's contagious. I mean, you are an encourager. You're exciting. And they said, I'd rather be around someone happy, hello, than to be someone that's depressed and, and all of that. Who would you rather hang out with, Winnie or Eeyore? 
I'd rather hang out with Tigger because he talks about it. I like the way he talks. But, but, but that's, that you, you decide that. You make that happen. And then God allows us to come into the house of God and bring an offering. It doesn't have to be your paycheck. It doesn't have to be your life savings. It's just a token. It's just something that he does that we're all involved. When he brought them out of Egypt, he took up an offering. How scary is that? God takes up an offering. You know why? Because when he brought them out of Egypt, there was no place to spend their money. There were no malls. There were no restaurants. There were no, there were no haircut places. There were no dentistry. There were no, God puts them in of nowhere, but it was an offering, a willing offering. It was not coerced or negative that I want every male 30 years and older to bring a token of gold. And when they brought that gold, they created the elements of worship for the tabernacle of God. The altar, the lover, all the, all the instruments of the tabernacle were solid gold because somebody did something. I'm going to phrase that. Because everybody did something. God does not put the responsibility of one person to solve all the problems. He, get, he makes it a joint effort that every one of us add and everyone that adds, it, it solves the problem and it does what God wants to be done. And as we're looking in Exodus 32, and, and 32, if you, I, you know what, I don't, um, let's not go there. Let me just bring a truth, if I may. The offering that God took created the elements of worship in the tabernacle. When Moses goes to the mountain and remains for a couple of days, the people freak out, and they say, Moses is dead. We need a God. So what does Aaron do? You ready for this? He takes up an offering, and they give him a gold ring, an earring, or a finger ring, and he melts their gold, and he creates a calf. Be careful you don't spend your money in the area that brings negative or hurt to your family. Man, I could, be, I could stay there a long time, but I'm not going to stay there a long time. I, I wrote down here, money can be spent poorly, or money can be spent wisely. I think... I think when I was younger, I think I spent all my money poorly because everything I bought when I was younger was about me, whether it was a candy bar or a Coke or a bicycle or – does anybody relate? I didn't have any outside interest that I sewed into. And this week, I may have – this week, I may have been burnt. I don't know. That's between this guy and God. I felt like God impressed me. Pastor Ron will tell you I do not carry cash. I don't have cash in my – I don't have a dollar right now in my wallet, and I don't know if I could find a dollar if I, if I needed a dollar. Because I am terrible about believing that I'm just supposed to help everybody that's hurting. And so I went to the gas station to get gas, and there was a guy, and he said, man, he said, my, my, it was a great story. Whatever the story was, my wife got run over by a truck, my son got hit by a falling helicopter, and the FBI have arrested my sister, and I just, I got to get to, I got to get to Atlanta. I only got five bucks, and so I said, you know what? I said, fill your car up. Fill your car up with gas. Oh, thank you. God bless you. Thank God bless you. So I go in the store. He bought, he bought five dollars of glass, and I told the girl to fill it up. And she said, why are you doing that? I said, well, he's got to get to Atlanta to the hospital, and I need to help. She said, do you know him? I said, no, I've never met him before in my life. Why? Do you know him? I mean, I, I want to make sure what, you know, some kind of criminal or somebody, he just been, he just stole lottery tickets or something. And then I walked back outside, and I just, you know, whether it was God or the devil, I don't know. The devil has never told me to give. So it couldn't have been, it couldn't have been the devil. But something said, at a $20 bill, something said, give him the 20 in your wallet. And I gave it to him. He started crying. I started crying. And I realized at that very moment, I serve somebody else with my blessing. Now, listen, whether, whether, he's a, whether he went and bought drugs or what, that's between him and God. I felt God impressed me. And, and uh, 
Pastor Ron, I, I love this new crowd because they haven't heard all my great stories. Keith Dudley and I traveled the nation. We had a great, Keith Dudley is a man of God, and we had a great season of our life with him. And there was a moment in Pastor Rhonda and her sister, I believe, went to a Benny Hinn, Maryland Hickey Con conference, and, and uh, Keith and I went on to Fresno, California. And let me tell you what God did in six days. He created all the beautiful things that we enjoy. On the seventh day, God got mad and created Fresno. Fresno is like the armpit of California. I mean, it is sticky, it's humid, it's, and if you're from Fresno and you're listening, I'm so sorry. If I hurt your feelings, just send me a love offering of $100 and you will feel a lot better with your hurt feelings. But anyway, Keith and I got there and we went into the restaurant. And we got to the restaurant, there was a guy outside. He was obviously, you know, he was obviously indigent. And it was obviously he, he probably had some, some physical challenges. Well, he asked me for some money to buy some food. Well, being the philanthropist that I am and the, and the Samaritan I am, I said, hey, why don't you just come in and join us and I'll buy you breakfast? Well, he probably, who knows how many days he'd been on a binge. Who knows how long it had been since he had food in his stomach. But we fed him. We gave him pancakes. We gave him bacon. We gave him milk. I mean, we filled his tummy up. And then as we got ready to leave, he was going to go use the restroom. And he went and he accidentally threw up on the first table he threw up all over their table, all over their everything. And the manager got very upset. He asked the manager for money. And the manager asked us not to uh, come back. The manager said, you're not welcome in this restaurant. Don't come back. And, you know, from that day on, now when I see people that I think they need food, I don't buy them. I don't take them to eat. I just give them money. They're going to answer to God where they buy it for food or whatever. Do you get my drift? I'm, some of that is teasing, but, but really – Really, it's not. If God gives me a, if God gives me a nudge, it's okay. I don't know where, where we were. I know we blessed a member of the family, but we blessed someone that wasn't a part of our church. They were behind us, and we paid their. They're just there's a there's a joy that comes when you're able, and you've got a little extra. There's a joy that comes when you're able to do something for somebody else who doesn't expect it, but they really appreciate it when you do it. Do have a friend in the building? Malachi three. Let's conclude. Let's conclude with. Uh, you know what? Let's, let's, let's don't touch this. Let's leave this alone. Let's conclude. Let's conclude with this. Expectation. Expectation. Expect the good over the bad. Have an attitude of expectation. What is it called? An attitude of gratitude. Be thankful for what you have. If you're upset about you're not getting what you think you're supposed to have, be thankful for what you have now. Be, be thankful this morning. You're not in jail. I was some things I did earlier. I could have spent a long time in, in concerning drugs. I could have spent a long because several years ago, they were mad at drugs. They were mad at marijuana, and if you had it, I mean, you went to prison for a, for a long time. And I, I reflect now some of the things probably that I would have got 20 or 30. I've, I'd be just not getting out of prison. So I thank God this morning I'm not in prison. I thank God this morning I'm not dead. I did some stupid things in my life. I climbed some cliffs. I jumped off some stuff. I jumped. I jumped with with me. I fell out of a tree. I flipped a four wheeler. I mean, I very easily. Jerry, just a six inch, uh, just a six inch. That four wheeler could have hit my head, not my chest. It would have killed me right there on the spot. So I thank God this morning that I'm not dead. I thank God that I'm alive. I thank God this morning that I'm not bound by drugs and alcohol, and by pornography and by gambling, by all of that. So before I expect a single thing from God, I like sometimes just to take a moment and do inventory 
and thank him for all the things that, that he's already provided, the things he's already done. And as we look at life, I'm, I'm speaking to this house this morning. Those that join us by podcast, let, let this word be for you. But as I speak to this house this morning, I've realized there's nothing you can't do with God on your side. If God be for us, who can be against us? I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. That means in the morning when your feet hit the floor, expect something good to happen. Expect something positive to take place. Expect there to be a blessing. Expect there to be favor. Your tithe payer, the windows of heaven are open unto you. And I'll, I'll conclude with that. This past two weeks, I was able to go to God. And we'll start off next Sunday with this about the ability to rebuke the devourer. And you can, you can make a list of all the things that devour in your life. I'll have a more detailed list next week. But there's a lot of things the enemy does to steal, kill, and to destroy. But there is a covenant that we have when we support the things of God in prayer, praise, worship, money, offerings, tithe. There's a, a window there that God has opened unto us. And where he said, I'll open the window of heaven and pour you out a blessing, he also says this, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Can my tires go 60,000 miles instead of 30? Absolutely. Can the transmission in my car last longer than the motor? Absolutely. Can I, can I expect things to happen in my life? Absolutely, because I am in covenant with God. The past 10 days, two times I went to God, went right to him, and I'll tell you why I went to him. Christine was given a, a real expensive uh, gift certificate. She went to a special place and got her makeup, and then she went to use a restroom. She left her bag of her makeup with all the with all of the coupons and everything worth about $120, $130. She left it there in the bathroom, forgot to get it, came home that night. Pastor Rhonda called Belch or Dillard or whoever, and, um, and, and Christine cried, and I cried. I can't stand to have my kids cry. I cannot stand. You want to make me mad? Make my kids cry. I can't stand. I can't stand it. And if I could bring, if I could take it on myself, I would. And I, when I encouraged Christine, I said, Christine, I said, I said, an honest person is going to hit me. An honest person is going to find it. And so when I left her room, and I'm upset because she's crying. And you say, well, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal to her. If it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to God. Listen, I learned a long time ago. It doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. What matters is what you feel, and what you feel is what God cares about. And so I went in the bedroom there, and I went in the bathroom, and I turned, to, turned the faucet on and started talking to God. I said, God, you told me if I brought my tithe and offer in the storehouse that you would rebuke the devourer for my sake. God, I'm asking you that an honest person found this. They're going to look in it, realize they can't use it, and they're going to bring it back. 10 o'clock that morning, past, the next morning, Pastor Ron a call, and guess what? It was there. It was there. It was there. Well, is that is that abracadabra, hocus-pocus? No. It's, it's reminding God, again, of a negative and expecting a positive. A couple of days ago, we gave Courtney birthday money to go get her contact. She got Bailey a coat. She got the baby some shoes, right? And somehow in all of that, she left her contacts in the cart and, and came home without them. We called the store. It wasn't there. Same bathroom, same faucet, same prayer. God, I am a tither. I am, I am a giver. I am a, I am a supporter. I rebuke the devourer. And, and, I, and I, I share with Pastor Ron, I said, listen, the odds of somebody finding those contacts and being able to use them 
She's like, one in a million, that their eyes would be like hers to one in a million. I said, let an honest person find them and bring them back. That next morning, I don't know what time it was. Did you make the call? Made the call and the contact. Somebody, had, they called you? Oh, that's even better. And the next, the next morning, the call was made. The contacts were found. Give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation. And I'll leave this truth with you. Psalm 105, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Listen to this. Who forgiveth all thy iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like an eagle. But they that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not fail. That's the, that's the word that God has spoken over you. And the Bible says he watches over his word to perform it. Oh, the makeup's gone? Well, I'll speak to this person and tell her to, to call the store and bring it back. Contacts are gone. I'll speak. God has the ability. God can speak to the heathen better than we can, and they usually listen to God better than, we li- than, than they listen to us. Do I have a, do you have a friend in the house? So this morning, I'm, I'm expecting you, I'm expecting this morning for my steak to be medium rare. I'm expecting the mushrooms to have extra sauce. I'm expecting to get some extra butter on my potato. I'm expecting this family to sit around and talk about good things. And then I expect a real good nap this afternoon. So those are my expectations. Leave this house this morning expecting God to do something great again. We talked last morning, something good is going to happen to you. Jesus of Nazareth is passing this way. We're running this race. Last week I shared the first verse and the chorus. The second verse says, A crown of life is waiting for those that make it in. Those that run the race with patience, casting off the weight of sin. It doesn't matter where you started or how long this race has been. It's the end that's so important. I've just got to make it in. Not the one that runs the swiftest, not the one who shines for days, but the one that endureth to the end. He shall, she shall be saved. Thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning. Thank you for the weather outside reminding us of when it's 70 and sunny. Thank you for every song, every prayer, every word, every illustration, every scripture. Watch over your word. Let all of us grab a piece of this pie and declare we will expect something good to happen today, tomorrow. We are in covenant with God. He loves us, and he watches over us the way a grandpa watches over his granddaughter, making sure there's nothing she needs or making sure she has everything she wants and bringing her stuff that she probably doesn't need and doesn't want. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. I'll give the Lord a hand clap of appreciation this morning.